I want you to imagine a city, and if you want, you can even imagine the city of Olive Branch or South Haven or wherever it is that you live, maybe Memphis, and you can imagine it on one day filled with complete joy. It's 72 and sunny outside, and there's some sort of big celebration going on. Maybe it's the OB Fest like we have in the summer, or maybe it's some sort of parade for some kind of special event going on. Maybe it's the NASCAR racer from Olive Branch coming and visiting his hometown, which is supposed to happen sometime soon. And there are people who are excited. The city is buzzing around with activity. There are churches that are open, singing praises. There are businesses open, selling their goods, employees working, The economy stimulated. There are men out golfing on whatever golf course is yours of choice. There are women at the salon telling stories with one another. There are families at the park flying kites. And there are people drinking wine and beer and other kinds of drinks which they may enjoy. And there is music playing and everyone is happy because the beauty of God's creation is just so evident on that wonderful day. And now I want you to imagine that same city, but after the judgment of God, the fiery judgment which Isaiah describes has gone through. And these are the terms in which he describes it in verse 7 through 10 especially. The wine fails, the vine languishes, the merry-hearted They sigh. The mirth of the tambourine ceases and the noise of the jubilant ends. The joy of the harp ceases. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink has become bitter to those who drink it. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up that no one may go in. Now you drive through that city, once so jubilant, once so celebratory, and it is as if the joy has been sucked out. The sun is now hidden behind the clouds and the land is dark, and there is a chill that goes through your bones. There is no one in the businesses or in the churches or in the streets or in the parks, because everyone, as Isaiah says, is shut up in their house. The wine is not even worth drinking anymore because it has become bitter. The music has stopped playing. The children have stopped laughing. The women no longer chat and the men no longer joke. Everything is desolate, empty, burned over. Needless to say, this is not a pretty picture that we have painted for ourselves and definitely not as pretty or as joyful as the one that we first imagined. But this is, in fact, one of the primary messages of Isaiah. Last week, we talked about the two main themes in the book of Isaiah, judgment on the one hand, hope on the other. And we looked at that in-between time, how Isaiah is going to get from one to the other in the book, but Isaiah is kind of cyclical and he will revisit different things at different times. 
But one of the main sections in Isaiah is the section that we are looking at tonight. If we stopped section 1 at chapter 12 and we were to kind of look at our outline of Isaiah, this would be chapters 13 through 39. And this is what we could call simply the judgment section. Isaiah would not get a passing grade in his homiletics course for this section. He does not have enough gospel to predominate his sermon. It is really all about this city that is burned over, that is desolate, that is wasted away. And when I was going through the book of Isaiah, picking out which sections we were going to look at and what chapters we were going to look at, I was looking actually at the lectionary for Sundays to see what readings might be most familiar to everybody. And I realized that there was not one lectionary reading from this section. And I think that is telling because it is a section that we don't like to read that much. It's that part of the Bible, kind of like the parts in Leviticus that get a little monotonous, but on this one, maybe for a deeper reason, a section of the Bible that we might be tempted to skip over, a section that is hard to hear. No one wants to think about that desolate city. No one wants to think about the judgment of God coming and burning down a city, and especially the city, and this is why I had you think of it this way, the city in which you live, the place that is your home, the men that you know on the golf course, the women that you know in the salon, the children that you know in the parks. But the reason I wanted you to think of your city is because I find in this passage Something similar to what Paul does in Romans chapter 3, which you may be more familiar with, where he will give a litany of other Bible verses to show the fact that no one is righteous. No, not one, he says. No one can, in reality, escape this judgment of God. It is our human nature, by sinful corruption, to try and do what we would call self-justify ourselves out of judgment. It is to do what the Pharisee did with the publican in that gospel story. Well, things might be bad. I might be a little bad, but at least I'm not as bad as him. I might have committed some sins, but at least I'm not one of those woke liberals destroying our society. Surely God won't pass judgment on me. I might commit sins now and then, but at least I'm not one of those racist or conspiracy theorists, the ones that if only they'd go away, we could all just get along. I might be a little bad sometimes, committing some sins sometimes, but I'm just a humble layperson. At least I'm not like that arrogant pastor who thinks he knows everything. Or, I'm a righteous pastor, at least I'm not like those lowly lay people down in the chairs. It is our nature to start to self-justify in this way, but Isaiah does not let you escape this. 
He doesn't let you draw opposites with yourself and other people. He says, and it shall be laid waste as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with the master, as with the maid, so with the mistress, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The list goes on. You can't escape the judgment. No one is righteous. No, not one. And so judgment comes because of sin, because of your sin, because of my sin, because of everyone's sin. It is the nature of sin to corrupt. That is something that Isaiah points out here about judgment coming on the earth and the nature of why it is coming on the earth. Notice what he says in verse 5. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed my laws, changed the ordinance and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth. When you transgress God's law, when you break one of his commandments, not loving God as you should or not loving your neighbor as you should, You defile, you corrupt, not just your own heart, but the earth itself. Whenever you change an ordinance, that would be deciding that the way you want to live is better than the way that God has told you to live. You defile not just your own heart and your own mind and the way that you are walking, but you defile the earth. You corrupt the world around you. And when you break the covenant, that is, when you live as if you have not been set free from sin, you have. But when you willingly go back into the bondages, into into the chains of sin, breaking the covenant that God has given to you in his son's blood, you defile not just your own heart, but the world around you. That is the nature of sin. That as sin grows in our hearts, it overflows into the world around us. And that sin corrupts. And you can get this if you read what happens to Adam in the garden after they sin. It affects the ground. There are thorns and thistles in the ground now. The world is corrupt. This is the same thing that happens with Noah and the flood. The Lord looks out and he sees that the thoughts of men are evil continually in their hearts. And the world is corrupt. So corrupt that he has to destroy his creation. And so that's the nature and the pattern of sin, that as sin comes into the world, as sin comes into our hearts, and then as sin flows out from us, what does God have to do? It is like a cancer that has started to infect the cells, and it's growing and growing, and the world is more and more corrupt, and there is nothing else to do but let the body be destroyed. The curse itself has devoured the earth. Isaiah says, the corruption of sin has broken the earth from the inside out. And so creation must be destroyed. And it also must be recreated again. 
Notice the language that Isaiah uses to describe God's judgment in this way. It is actually a reversal of what happened in creation. Verse 1, Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface. In the beginning, God created the, the heavens and the earth, and they were without form and void, and he added things to them. He created the earth, and he added the trees, and he added the animals, and he added the waters. And now he is taking away, making things desolate, burning them over, scattering people, shutting them in their houses. This time to take away, not to separate the waters from the dry ground, but to distort the surface that you don't know if it's water or ground. It's a big swampy mess. The earth is torn apart. This is the nature of God's judgment. And we'll go on now to the end of chapter 24. The nature of God's judgment as it continues to go throughout the earth is this. Verse 19, the earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. It is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall totter like a hut. And its transgression shall be heavy upon it and it will fall and not rise again. And here comes the final day. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of the exalted ones and on the earth, the kings of the earth, and they will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered into a pit. The earth is torn apart. And those who are judged wicked, those who have no faith, they will be cast into the pit and shut up in prison. And so now, dear saints, let's make this all very clear. Isaiah, I find sometimes to be unclear because sometimes he is talking about the judgment of Judah and sometimes he is talking about judgment in general. Sometimes he's talking about a judgment in the future. And sometimes he's talking about the final judgment when Jesus comes back again. And sometimes he's talking about all four of those at once. And so it can be a little confusing, but let's make this very clear. That the kind of judgment we're talking about is judgment against sin. This is how much the Lord hates sin. That he is willing to undo, to reverse, to take away, to desolate his own beloved creation to get rid of sin. And this is the judgment for sin. It is the judgment for all sin. It is the judgment for my sin and for your sin that the Lord's wrath would come and burn something up. And this is also an image of the final day, the final judgment of the world when Christ will come and judge the living and the dead. And he will put all things 
under his feet. And he will destroy all wickedness, even the final enemy, death itself. And so the first thing we should do when we read Isaiah 24, well, the first thing we should do is not skip over it. We should not skip over these 26 fairly depressing chapters in Isaiah because they do have this message for us. But we should hear them with open hearts and open minds. And then the second thing we should do is repent. We should take this and realize the severity of sin. If the God of all creation is willing to undo his creation to destroy sin, how sorry should we be for our sin? How sorry should we be and what should we do? We should do what Isaiah does. Whenever Isaiah realizes what's going on, he says, I've heard people sing lots of songs to God. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to the righteous. Verse 16. But I said this when I realized my sin. I am ruined, ruined. Woe to me. Woe to me. And so we should get on our knees and we should beg for God's mercy. Woe to me. Woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. Lord, have mercy. I won't leave you with only chapter 24, though. There is good news and even a little bit of good news here in chapter 24. The good news is this, and Isaiah will talk about this more and more, especially when we get to our last section in Isaiah around chapter 60. If God is going to undo his creation and burn over the wickedness and corruption of sin, he will also recreate his creation. He will not just desolate it, but he will make it anew. He will not just destroy it, but he will renew it and make it again perfect. And so we get this one verse at the very end of chapter 24. For the Lord of hosts will reign. After everything has been burned over, after the city is desolated, after there is nothing left, the Lord of the hosts will reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And he will reign, notice this one little phrase, before his elders gloriously. And that gives you a clue to something that we're going to discover as we continue through the book. It shows you that there is a faithful remnant. There are elders who will be there to rejoice before the Lord. It shows you that the Lord doesn't want to leave us just in a burnover city shut in our house, but he wants us to be with him on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. It shows you that as we'll look at, as we'll begin with next week in chapter 40, the Lord wants to say to you, comfort, comfort ye my people. And so when you are driving home tonight, and you are looking at whatever city you are looking at, you can imagine it, any number of ways. You can imagine it celebratory, 72 and sunny, or you can imagine it burned over and desolated after a time of judgment. 
But when you're done thinking about the city of this earth that you're in now, I want you to remember that there is a better city coming. There is a new Jerusalem that Jesus is preparing to bring to you even now. And that city, it is coming soon, for Jesus himself is coming soon to bring it. And when he brings it on that day, it will be, yes, the day of judgment, but it will be for you, you repentant and you faithful people of God. It will also be for you the day, not just of judgment, but of hope. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.